series called Gideon, and what we're talking about is the story of Gideon. Gideon actually shows up not only in Judges, but he's referenced in the book of Hebrews. We're going to talk about that next week and why that's important. And um, uh, what we're going to do this morning is look at a shift that happens in the story that I think is so applicable to us as we think about our relationship with Jesus. We think about our relationship with God. And we reflect on the things that can go wrong if we don't have the right perspective. So let me just give you a little bit of background. You can always go back and listen to the uh, sermons as well, but a little bit of background. Um, Israel is being disciplined by God because God specifically told Israel not to worship the gods of the Amorites. And so um, he, but he, he, they do. And so he says, look, for seven years, the Midianites uh, uh, are going to come, and every year they're going to take all your crops, they're going to uh, take your um, uh, animals, whatever they don't take, they're going to kill, right? And so that's where we are. And they cry out to God, and God sends a messenger and says, remember the Lord's coming, and remember what he did in Egypt. Remember all these things. Remember all the works that he did. And so then the angel of the Lord, it says, comes up to this guy, Gideon, who's hiding in a wine press, sifting wheat because he doesn't want any of the Midianites to come and steal his stuff. Very protective. And the, and the angel of the Lord says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And we talked about sees us oftentimes is different than how we see us. And so he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And, uh, and so um, Gideon says, oh, I'm just the smallest of the, uh, I'm from the smallest tribe and the smallest clan, and I can't be used by God because we find out that Gideon doesn't know who this person is because he's not that familiar with Yahweh. See, Gideon worships three gods, Baal, Asherah, and Yahweh. And so he doesn't know, because he doesn't know the character of God, and he doesn't know the voice of God, he doesn't know who he's talking to, he doesn't know if this is an angel of Yahweh, if it's just some Midianite that's like, hey, I want to steal all your stuff. He doesn't know anything. And so he says, oh, I don't have any money, I don't have anything, I don't know, I can't do anything, right? And so he says, can you just wait here and I'll prepare an offering for you? And so God essentially waits for Gideon, and we talked about that. That for some of us, we want to see God move in our lives, and he's waiting for us. <laughs> we, we, we think we're waiting for him, but he's waiting for us. And so he comes out to this angel of the Lord. And the angel of the, of the Lord says, pour everything out on this rock. And he zaps it with his staff, lights it on fire, and then he's gone. I dream a genie. Remember that when you were, when you were a kid? right? And so he's gone. And, uh, and so all of a sudden Gideon realizes, I've seen the angel of Yahweh, Gideon says. Like, okay. I've identified which God it is, and, I'm, and so he says, I, I, I'm wrecked. He says, alas, which uh, we learned last week just means, um, oh, no, we'll say. And so, uh, oh, no, I'm, I'm in trouble. And then God gives him the word that we talked about last week, peace. Do not be afraid. You're not going to die. And so that's where we catch Midian. Now, a Gideon. Now, if you, if you think of Gideon, uh, and you are a scholar of the Bible, or maybe you read a lot about Jesus, and you see all the miracles that Jesus does, and you see everything that Gideon's seen, would you not come to the conclusion, at least I would, and I have in the past, if I saw all those miracles, I'd, I'd believe. Like, if I saw, like, legit, 
Like not, not miracles that we just kind of go, oh, thank you, Lord. Like, you know, my car, you know, like whatever. Like not these, I'm talking, I'm talking like fire out of the tip of the staff that burns up your lunch and then, then disappears like that. If you saw those different things, maybe if you're talking in Jesus' time, if you saw someone healed of blindness, you knew them and you knew they were blind. Or someone raised from the dead or someone who couldn't hear that could hear. Or a bleeding woman that you knew that had this ailment for over a decade and they were instantly healed. Wouldn't you think if you saw those things, oh, I'd be a believer then. Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So what happens is, Gideon, he says, peace, do not be afraid. God is with you. And then we pick up the story. And uh, Gideon, uh, uh, it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Now you'd think, oh, my goodness. This is filled with the Holy Spirit, ready to go go do some damage. Well, when the spirit of the Lord comes on a a, a judge or a prophet, it's a little different than what we would call in the New Testament as being filled with the Holy Spirit. But let's just for argument's sake say the dude was on the right track, Okay. And so he starts blowing this trumpet, and all these people start gathering. It's a war trumpet, and all of them start gathering together. And Gideon gets 32,000 men gathered, ready to take on the Midianites. Now, the Bible also says that the Midianites had camped in this valley, and it just looked like the whole valley was crawling with locusts. That's how many men and camels there were. Judges also says... It'd be better for you to try to count the sand in the seashore than to count all these men and camels. So it is a huge deal. We'll find out later that it's over 120,000. So you got Gideon. He blows his trumpet. They gather everybody they could muster, 32,000 against 120,000. Now, if you do the math, every dude needs to kill four people. Okay, if you're following with me on the math, this will become important. Okay, so if you're thinking to yourself, man, four, four men, I, could I kill four men? It's possible, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, if you move fast, right? Okay, I don't know. So this is where we are. 32,000, they're looking out over the valley, over 120,000. And Gideon, just remember, Gideon was just empowered by God. He just, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. What's his next act after gathering all the people together? He does a thing that we call setting out a fleece. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you'd hear somebody in Christendom, and if you haven't been a Christian for a long time or you're new to the Bible, these are probably the things that drive you crazy. When Christians just start talking about stuff and you're like, dude, I don't know what setting out a fleece even. First of all, what's a fleece? Well, it's, it's basically a piece of sheep, <laughs> okay? And so setting out a fleece is what, um, what we say that is in Christendom is I want to see what God needs me to do. So I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to set something out or set up some parameters. If you're into coding, it's an if-then statement. That, okay. If God does this, if she, you know, looks at me and bats her eyes three times, I'm going to ask her to marry me, right? Because you're trying to figure out, because it's hard when you're following God, does God want me to do this or not? I sent out all these resumes. If this company, you know, is first, that's what I'll do, right? It's setting out a fleece. That is not what Gideon did. 
Stop using that language. It's bad theology. Watch what Gideon does. He's seen the miracles. He's heard the voice of God. He knows exactly what he's supposed to do. There's no question. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised. <laughs> okay, here's what Gideon's saying. I don't know if I can trust you. I know what you clearly told me to do, but I don't know if I can trust you. So I'm going to set up a little thing that I want you to perform to prove to me that I can trust you. Now do you want to use the term setting out a fleece? <laughs> I don't. Right? Because you know the character of God. When you say setting out a fleece, and when I say it, what I'm saying is, God, in this particular area, I don't know what to do. But I know you're good, and so I need help. Can you inform me? And that's fine. And if you want to keep using that language, go ahead. But that's not what Gideon is doing. Gideon is questioning the character of Yahweh. Are you really going to do this? And that's very dangerous. Imagine any relationship where you do that, right? Imagine going to your spouse. If you really loved me, by morning my car would be waxed, right? <laughs> you know, you say to your wife, you know, honey, if you really love me, I, the car will be waxed in the morning. You know, she's like, boy, let me tell you what's going to happen, right? <laughs> right, because that's, 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 that's not right. I mean, if, you, if, if your kid said, Dad, Mom, if you really loved me, I'd have a bike. Like, bro, you know how much I do for you already? See, see, if Gideon had known the character of whom he was speaking to, right? If he, if he had known the character of God, he never would have done this. But here's what he's doing. He's having a miracle reveal the character of God or inform him about the character of God. Miracles don't work that way. Miracles start with the character of God. The miracle of Jesus walking on the water starts that he was creator of heaven and earth, that all things happen through him and that he has power over walking on the water. Then you see the miracle and go, I already knew that. Jesus healing someone of being deaf or blind or mute is because Jesus is all about re uh, restoration. And so when you see him perform a miracle, you go, yes, that makes a lot of sense. That's who Jesus is. If you are waiting for a miracle in order to believe or figure out who God is, you're doing it the wrong way. It starts with relationship. And then these miracles reveal, yes, I knew that all along. It doesn't start with, if only God would do this, then I'd know. If only, you know, my husband would perform in this certain way, then I'd really love him. It doesn't work that way. That's, that's conditional relationship. That's conditional love. It doesn't work that way. And so he says, look, I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor and if there is dew only on the fleece in the morning and then the ground around it's dry, then I'll know, okay? So, so you put it out, there's going to be dew on the fleece and dry all around. To which God said, I will kill you 
No, that's not what he says. And that is what has happened. God did it anyway, which I, I can't wrap my head around. I mean, the, the story of the fleece is really a story of God's grace and mercy. Because that's what his character is. It's not God performing for something that go prove you exist. Remember what, the, remember what they said to Jesus? Oh, this is so good. They say, hey, give us a sign. And you know what he says? He says, a wicked and adulterous generation ask for a sign. Guess what sign you're going to get? You're going to get the sign of Jonah. Which means we're going to start with my character that I'm Messiah. That I'm going to die, and in three days I'll be raised from the dead, and now you know I'm redeemer, forgiver, restorer, and that's the sign we're going to start with. Then, you we can have the signs we have. You have to start there. You have to start with the character of God before you're interested in the miracles of God. So God does it. I don't know why, whatever. And so if my wife does wax my car by morning, it's okay, okay? <laughs> And then this is also cool about God. I don't know. I love my Bible. You should read your Bible. It's so cool. When he squeezed out, he wrung out the dew, it was a bowl full of water. So God's like, bro, there's no question. It wasn't just a little sprinkling of dew. Hey, just wipe it off with a towel. You're good. It's like a sham wow. That's not what it was. Okay? He, it was a bowl full of water. Gideon said to God, okay, so here's the thing. I got 32,000 men, and this is kind of a big deal. And thanks for the last one, though. Thanks, thank you for that. But don't be angry for this one, because I got another one I'm mustering up for you, for you to perform. I need you to vacuum all the seats out, too, instead of, and not just wax it. Like, I need, I need it all done, right? Listen, listen to me, listen to me. If you are waiting for a miracle in order to prove the existence of God or get you enough faith to start a relationship with God, it will never be enough. You're going to need another and another and another and another. I hear this all the time. I'll be obedient if only. Right? God's been telling you to give sacrificially. He's been telling you to get rid of that issue in your life that's been going on. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. When this happens. When this happens, when this happens, you say, oh, oh, you know what? If God would just give me a job and then God gives you a job and you're like, rocked that interview, man. I rocked that thing. Wait a minute. <laughs> Didn't, weren't you just asking for us? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's all cool. You got to start with his character. You got to start with his character. So he says, allow one more test with the fleece, but this time... <laughs> Make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. So now it's just the opposite, okay? That night God did so. I have no idea. Only the fleece was dry and the ground was covered with dew. Okay. So here's what happened. Later on, so now we're back to Gideon's like, okay, I guess we're good. So we're back to Judges 7. Early in the morning, Jerabel that is Gideon. Now, this is very fascinating in the Bible. If you were reading this straight through, you'd go, why did he mention this again? Because he just did it like six verses ago. Why do I need to be reminded? We know, we already read that part of the story. We don't need to be reminded a third time that Jerobel is Gideon. But what the writer wants you to understand is this is always going to be a struggle for Gideon. 
This idea that part of his identity comes from his former gods that he worshipped, and he can't shake those things. And then part of him is his name Gideon, which actually means hacker, okay? Not computer hacker. Because see, back then they didn't, okay, no. It's, it's when he hacked down the Asherah pole, right? It's pretty, just pretty cool. Just geeky stuff, geeky stuff. All his men encamped uh, at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah, Okay? So here's what happens. Gideon gets his 32,000 men. You got to kill four. Gotta, well, every man has to kill four men. And God, now, I don't want to read too much into the Bible, but God, now that God has made it easy for Gideon, hey, I, I did your fleece trick. I did the other fleece trick. And now you're just going to go out and do your thing, and I'm going to save Israel, and you're going to be like, yay. So God says to Gideon, hey man, you have too many men. To which you or and I would you and I would say, I, everybody has to kill four dudes, God. Like it's already hard. It's kind of a big deal. So here's what God says. Here's what I want you to do, Gideon. I want you to just tell the whole group, anyone who's scared, you can go home. Right? So Gideon, probably like me, like if I had men's group. Right? If I said, hey, if any of you guys are scared, you know, you don't have to be here, I would expect that maybe one person would leave, but probably not. Or, or like, uh, uh, you know, whatever. You'd think the guys, the, all these men would be like, I'm not chicken. I'm going to do it. 22,000 men left. He had 32,000. Now he's got 10,000 men. Now everyone has to kill 10 dudes. Okay? Or 12, I guess, right? Is that, the, is that math correct? I don't know what it is. A lot of men, okay? So 22,000 are just like, whoo, I'm so happy. So, so after COVID, our church, uh, sorry for those of you who are online, I'm just letting you know what happened. So our church was cut into a third of its size, okay? And every pastor I talked to, that was about the number. A third of their congregation uh, they were allowed to be online and not go to church, and so they left. So it would be like me going, hey, look, by the way, coming to church, it's really not that important. You can watch online. The next day, 22,000 people never went to church again, right? So that, it's kind of that feeling. You'd go, oh, no. Oh, no. Okay? So that's what happened. So now they've got 10,000 men, and uh, so everybody has to kill 12 people now. And so... Uh, uh, God says, um, you still have too many. 10,000 is too many. And so he says, I want all the 10,000 men to go to the river there, to go to the water and drink. And some, just watch how they drink. Some are going to kneel down and bring the water to their mouth and like lap it like a dog. Okay. Other people are going to put their face right into the water. So Gideon's like, Everybody get a drink, okay? So he gets a drink. And this is what would have happened. He would have watched 9,700 people drink from the river. And he'd be going, okay, well, whatever. And he's like, what the? These people are a little different. And then maybe he thought, which I would, oh, please don't do the dog lapping guys. Like, send the dog lapping guys away. It's like 300 people. Just send those away. Well, here's what happens. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, 
into the hands of Israel, or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me. In other words, God has to create a scenario that gets you back to where it has to be God. It can't be you. And some of you might be in that situation right now, that God has gotten you to a place where how you get out has to be God, and that is not to prove his existence. It's to remind you of his character that you already knew. The Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men that lapped, Gideon was just like, ah, it's the lappy guys. Dog, God. Probably like, you guys couldn't have lapped? Come on, what are you doing? So they all leave. I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let the others go home. <laughs> 31,700 people went home and 300 people stayed. Okay? Somebody divide 120,000 by 300, what is it? And now you got what? They have to kill 4,000 men? Is that what it is? All right. So there you go. Now watch. During the night, the Lord says to Gideon, again, another strict command. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. Again, very, very clear. But then God says this, but if you're afraid to attack, because that seems to be your thing, I got one more thing for you to do. Go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they're saying. So, so of course, so like the, I love this. If you're afraid, then go. So he, so he goes. Uh, that's what he does. He says, if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they're saying. Now they, they do it, and here's what they hear. This is so bizarre. There's a guy telling about a dream he had. Now I'm just going to give you a little bit of insight into your pastor. I hate when people tell me their dreams. I hate it. My, Lisa was just laughing. You hear that laugh? That was Lisa laughing, right? I can't stand it. I don't want to know. You. Now, your hopes and dreams, you know, I want to start a business, that's all fine. But the fact that, you know, you, you visioned a pizza and each pepperoni was a guy you work with, like, I, I, that stuff drives me crazy. It has no bearing on anything in life. So when I read this, I was like, so this guy's telling this dream. There was a giant loaf of barley. And I'm like, exactly why I don't listen to people's dreams. A giant loaf of barley. And it rolled into camp and it rolled over everything in camp. That's what, that's what they hear. That's what Gideon and Pura hear. But then they hear this other guy say this. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. He interpreted the dream. What are you talking about? But how did you come to that conclusion? But something happened in Gideon. And I wonder if it's the same thing that would happen to you or I. Like, wait a minute. God just told me to come down and listen to what they're saying. And that's what I heard? That must be a great coincidence. Now think about this. Okay, now you've got to trust in the Lord, right? I mean, come on. Another miracle? Another thing that happened? When Gideon heard the dream, oh my goodness, and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. 
Oh, Gideon's got it now. He returned to camp, the, uh, uh, the camp of Israel, and called out, get up, the Lord. And he's finally using the proper term, Yahweh, has given the Midianite camp into your hands. So he, he gives them this whole thing. And what he says is, everybody gets a torch and everyone gets a trumpet. And you light the torch on fire and you cover it with a clay pot. And what that'll do, it'll do two things. It'll hide the light so you can kind of walk around without it. And it'll temporarily snuff out the torch. Okay? So you got your torch in one hand with the thing and you got your trumpet in the other. Okay? Here's, and here's what he says. Watch me and follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. Now, what they're going to do is they're going to break the pot, wave the torch where it lights back up again, and they're going to blow the trumpets. Because at that time, a trumpeter would lead a large body of men. So if you have 300 trumpeters, you've got 300 troops, and they'd lead with a torch. But it's just 300 men. That's kind of the sneaky thing he decides to do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout. And here's what you shout. For the Lord. And you go, yes. Gideon's finally got it. Except the next three words change the whole story from here on out. What he told them to shout was for the Lord and for Gideon. Come on, son. What, what are you doing? What, what are you doing, Gideon? For the Lord and for Gideon? Okay. This would, you know what makes this even sadder? I live a lot of my life like this. I want to make sure everything's okay before I fully step into obedience. But I know for a fact his character. I know he's faithful. I know he's good. In, 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 in the New Testament, it says Jews ask for a sign and the Greeks ask for wisdom. But we preach the cross crucified, which to the Jews is a stumbling block and to the Greeks is foolishness. In other words, Christian follower of Jesus, it will never be comfortable and you'll never hear enough miracles where an act of obedience isn't hard. It's always going to be hard. And there's going to be this thing in the back of my mind where I go, for the Lord. And for John, though. Right, for the Lord. I'm going to do, God, I'm going to follow you forever. We were just singing these praises. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to do everything. He goes, good, this is what I want you to do. Okay, so the thing about that, though, that, that, that's going to, that's going to, I got to get rid of that relationship. I got to readjust my time, my finances. You want me to serve where? Children's ministry? For the Lord. <laughs> and for Gideon. Let me tell you something, what happened right here. From here on out, and there's several chapters, God never speaks to Gideon again, and Gideon never speaks to God again. It's over. Because if your whole relationship is based on circumstances and signs and wonders and this and that, and everything has to be all figured out, you're missing the heart of your Heavenly Father. You're missing the heart of Jesus. He says, come, follow me. 
Wherever I lead, that's where you're going to go. We spent six weeks talking about, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to base my faith on who God is, who I know he is, not on what he does. So they, so what happens is they do it. All the Midianites freak out. Now you have to understand there's all different clans of people. There's the, um, there's the Midianites, there's the Malachites, and there's these eastern tribes. So they're all together. So when all that happens, they're looking at them and then the people that they're with, and they're thinking, oh, they've turned on us. So they all just start killing each other. Okay? And that was it. That's all that had to happen. That's the only thing that happened that had to happen. But now Gideon's feeling, he's all feeling himself. And he's just like, oh, oh, this is great. So he starts pursuing everybody. And, he, and, and he's like, oh, this is, this is going to be great. And he's chasing all these people. Now watch what happens. Gideon and his 300 men, exhausted and yet kept up the pursuit, nobody asked Gideon to pursue them. God didn't. And now everybody's exhausted because this is what happens for the end for Gideon part. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. So he, he has these two things. We'll get through this real quick. But he's got these two towns that he comes into, Sukkot and uh, Peniel, okay? I know it reads sucketh, and I really wanted it to, I really wanted it to be that because the people of this town sucketh, okay? Uh, but it's not. It's Sukkot. That's a little, little seminary joke for you. It, it's, it's Sukkot, right? And now Gideon talks to the people because he's exhausted because he's brought all his men into this situation that's not sustainable. And he goes, can we get some bread and water? And they said, have you gotten the two kings, the Midianite kings? Because we're not going to help you if all of a sudden they come back and they're like, who helped Gideon? And so Gideon goes, oh, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to torture you guys when I come back. What? And then he goes to uh, Peniel, and he says, oh, hey, I want to get some help. They say the same thing. Do you got the kings? Can you show us some proof that, that this is going to go well? And he goes, uh, see that tower in your town? I'm going to tear it down. He just goes, he's wacky. He's just going crazy. And so he gets the two kings, and he brings them back, and he tortures every, everyone, all the 72 elders in Sukkot. And he tears down the tower of Peniel and kills every man in there. The whole point is that he would rescue Israel and now he's killing Israel. Because it's for the and for Gideon. Listen, here's my point as the worship band comes back up. Your trust in God is directly related to your ability to obey his voice, not experience his miracles. The how much you trust God is your ability to hear his voice and obey. To, to, to obey his voice, to, to obey it, right? Because as you obey and obey and obey and obey, you go, I don't need a sign. I've already seen him work. I've already seen him be faithful. I know what he's like. This is what Habakkuk says. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. 
because it's not the miracles. Daniel says it this way, and we'll end on this. He gets thrown in, like, they're going to, the king wants him to worship these other gods, worship him, essentially. And they're going to throw Daniel into this furnace. And here's what he says. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. No, no big deal. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. I, I wonder how he said that. Your majesty. Like, real sarcastic. That would be me. Doesn't have to be Daniel that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of the gold you have set up. We're going to take just a little bit of time and just give you a chance before you get into your day to take a deep breath. You can come up to the altar here and just kneel. That's what I like to do, to take, take a posture of uh, humility. There'll be people praying at the cross if you want prayer for that. But think about what happened to Gideon. If you're praying for a miracle at the cross, do you understand the God you're talking to? Do you understand his character? Maybe for you, it's like, man, I keep, I have this thing. It's like for the Lord and for me. And you want to just come or stay at your seat and just go, can my statement just be for the Lord and I remove myself? Maybe there's some other gods, some things you know about, some things that are holding you back. You want to, Get rid of those things. Then I'll come back up after that short time and I'll pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your character. Thank you for who you are. I pray that uh, we would hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we go ahead and stand for the blessing if you're able. For some of you, just before we end with the blessing, I just want to be sensitive to what I feel God is calling us to do. Uh, somebody here, uh, there's a God that you're worshiping. And even as you walk out those doors, it's going to be something difficult for you to get rid of and you already know about it. So I'm just letting you know that he knows and he's on your side, and just obey. All right, now, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray you'd go in his strength. I pray you'd go in his joy. I pray you'd go in his peace. In Jesus' name, amen.